0: here to help. Don't eat the help. (laughs) When I was a child, an uncle asked what gift I wanted for my name day. I begged him, one of you. It wouldn't even have to be a big dragon, I told him. It could be little like me. Everyone laughed like it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. Then my father told me the lost dragon had died a century ago. I cried myself to sleep that night.
1: Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomendino, And with us for the first time, we have my sister, Michelle Lomagino.
1: Hello! Today we are reviewing episodes one and two because I dropped the ball. Yes, it's my fault. And we did not record our preview to the season or episode one. And thanks to one of our listeners, um, they kicked us in the ass and said, Where are the episodes? And uh, shame. basically made me feel guilty enough to get my shame. lazy ass up and get this going.
2: For yeah, that's shame. okay, though, because episode one was fairly quiet. So we're going to roll it all in together, all the information that we had for you guys on episode one, The Red Woman, and episode two, Home.
1: Before we get into episode one, the Coffee Clats Crew podcast is now on Google Play Music. So we stream. It's just like having a radio station, but uh, you just look up Coffee Clats Crew on Google Play. And you can listen to us from there as well now. So now we're on iTunes, Google Play Music, BlackBerry, if anyone has that anymore, and Stitcher. So uh, we've we cast a wide net.
2: Yeah, in addition to, you can always check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter as well.
1: So enough with the shame, okay. and uh, let's get to episode one.
2: Okay, Jason. So episode one, The Red Woman, was directed by Jeremy Podeswa and written by our very own Benioff and Weiss. It had 7.9 million viewers, and we'll talk about that later, how much it's actually gone up from season one till now in the viewer ratings. Before we get into our overview of the episode, we're gonna do a new segment called New Faces and Places, just to get you acquainted with some of the new people you might have seen in this episode that you don't really know, or maybe we haven't seen them for a while and you've forgotten about them, totally understandable. In episode one, we go to Vaze Duthrak with Daenerys. So we see that Kalmora, the guy that captured her when she was with her dragon out in the grasslands, he took her back to the Dothraki Sea. Vaze Dothrak is actually the only city in the Dothraki Sea. It's a place of peace where the Khalasars essentially gather and meet to trade, and there is no fighting. There, they have a group of Dithraki holy women, known as the Dosh Kaleen that live in the city and are respected by all. So when they tell Danny, we have to take you to the Dosh Kaleen, this is where you're gonna live now, they really want her to become one of this ruling group of crones. Now, that sounds okay because they preside over the holy city they're respected, but it's not really her choice and she wouldn't be able to leave. This is her duty.
0: It hasn't been very long since she was Khaleesi, none of them remember
1: her I think it's a it's a completely her. different clan or different like little group it like wasn't it part of the same one
0: okay
2: yeah definitely it's a khalasar and so they're pretty large each khalasar they don't really travel together the only time they meet up is in this city when something major happens like they have a wedding or you know they have to have a big trade or something so I don't think these people ever even met her well, However, we can clearly see that they recognize and respect the name of Khal Drogo, and that's when they decide to sort of back off her. Yet, she still can't mess with those rules. They still want to keep her there. All right, so you ready to jump into the overview, Jason? Yeah. We'll start our way at the north and move south and then east. So we're going to cover The Wall, Winterfell, King's Landing, Dorne, Bravos, and Marine. Start at The Wall where Good old Davos and Dolorous Ed find Jon Snow's body. They take it inside and lock themselves in a room against Alistair Thorne, who has decided to assume command of the Night's Watch. We also see Melisandra removing her necklace and revealing her true form as an old crone. Seems like she's lost her faith in her god because her visions were wrong.
1: I thought it was great how, you know, especially for book readers, it's been how many years since uh, you read the last part of that book where he gets John Snow gets stabbed you had to wait many years right
2: yeah it's been a long time since that book and that's exactly how they left us as well with him getting stabbed and left out in the snow
1: so the first opening scene for season six and we're looking at John Snow so they didn't even wait they weren't even like trying to tease you they're like here this is what you want to see
0: thank goodness they must have known I couldn't have waited I really thought they
2: were going to string us along, and I guess they still kind of did by giving us episode one, which didn't really have any answers as far as what happened to him. But yeah, you're right. That was some fan service. Let's go right to him and remind you of what's going on and that we haven't forgotten about him. Now, my big question from this scene, because, you know, episode one was a lot of setup. There wasn't really too much action or character development happening. I thought the big moment was Melisandre taking off this necklace and showing us she's actually a very old woman.
0: What do you think the importance of that was? She was knocked off her game, so to speak. She, the only Melisandre we've ever seen is confident, totally believing, having 100% faith in herself and the God of Light. This was a whole new side of her. She was devastated.
1: Well, I think It showed us visually, you know, how weak she is uh, physically without her god. So essentially, her giving up in that moment, uh, the god, shows that we saw mentally uh, that she was giving up, but also physically without her god, she's that old, old witchy-looking lady. Right. And I think what we're going to do christina if you don't mind we'll probably go through i'll I'll bring up things from episode two while we're talking about one as well just to keep
2: that's fine by location yeah because episode one we didn't really get too much going on except setup. but i i thought a i wondered how much of this is her god and is real magic and how much of it is glamorous so to speak so she has told us and other people that worship the lord of light have told us that sometimes they do use a lot of tricks it's smoke and mirrors in order to get people to believe that they are powerful and at the end of the day perhaps they don't have that level of magic or connection it appeared as though she did as she was getting some visions in the flames but now she thinks they were all wrong and so yeah she feels very lost i think
1: yeah her faith is totally taken from her because she had all those visions she had blind faith in believing that this was going to come true we've seen her magic it wasn't just glamour uh she actually had a, a demon come out of her vag and yeah. kill someone um
0: <laughs> but she she you believe she did see things in those flames
1: i do i do believe that um
2: yeah i think she did too i think she really thought stannis was the next prince that was promised and when it wasn't him she thought she just interpreted it wrong and that it wasn't for God's fault, that it was actually Jon Snow. Now that it's not Jon Snow happening either, she's really questioning herself, her own
0: connection to the Lord of Light. Do you believe she ever received communication from the Lord of Light?
2: In the forms of these visions, I think, in the flames.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those typical, uh, or not typical, you know, you see it often. She's kind of like the medium between our world and the. Uh, god of fire's world and she's not being spoken to instead she's getting these visuals that it's up to her to interpret it and make it come to fruition through her own interpretation and i think what we're seeing here is that she did see visions and they are true but she just totally got the interpretation wrong on who is g- going to be the uh king and who's going to lead that that vision for- forth.
2: yeah she said that multiple times in the books actually when other people, including Davos, were questioning this religion and its truth, she said, it's not the Lord. He has ultimate power. That is all true. It's me as a human that misinterprets what he's trying to tell me. But I think the biggest thing in that scene was to draw parallels back to the Red Priest, Thoros of Myr, and Beric Dondarrion that we met with the Brotherhood Without Banners when Arya was traveling with them. Yes. So this has been brought up in a lot of podcasts, and I know it's not new news, but it is important to remember that a very similar circumstance happened with him. Thoros of Myr was a priest that worshipped the same god, the Lord of Light. He didn't really do a very good job of it. Most of what he did was smoke and mirrors. He didn't really have a real connection to the god. It wasn't until his friend, Beric Dondarrion, was killed, and he was at his lowest point that he bent over his body and he prayed to bring him back. It was a very real human moment and I think finally that is what we see later in episode two with Melisandre she tries the ritual first she tries the right way to do it it doesn't work it's not until she leans over John's body and she says please she really wants him back I think that's
0: why it happens
1: yeah and you, you did mention before that it's um it seems like once you lose the love or you lose uh, your faith that's when it becomes more powerful
2: I think it's because they're not trying to act high and mighty anymore. They actually are engaging in this very serious religious connection now at this low point. They're praying with everything they have. They're putting their faith into the God. I don't know what else to do. Please help me. That's the moment that it happens. So Jason, like you said, if you want to go into episode two, after that, we see that Ed, Tormund, and the wildlings imprison the mutineers. And I was so happy to see this, that our little group was locked in the room. Davos didn't know what else to do. Thorn and the Night's Watch were getting out of control. And somebody finally went and told Tormund, we need help over here. And he came over and he delivered. Yeah, who did that,
0: though? Because as viewer, you, you saw them all locked in the room. It didn't seem as though anybody left. I think Ed left.
2: For you viewers, it probably doesn't mean much, but... Ed Tollett was a character we knew a little bit better in the books. They called him Dollarus Ed. He always sort of had this sad look on his face. He was part of the crew here at the Night's Watch. He was very devoted to John. And I think he was the one that went and told Torman they need help.
0: So the Wild Wings were still fairly close, you have to assume. We haven't yeah. really seen what they've done since they got past the wall.
2: No, that's a good point. We haven't. I know they had spoke of in the show and we saw in the books they were thinking of reopening some of the castles along the Night's Watch. So at one point, I don't know, there was well over 20 castles all along the wall. Present day, there are only three that are opened and manned, but it was part of Jon Snow's idea to open some of these other castles back up, try to fix them up and put the Wildlings in them for the time being. So maybe that's what they're doing? I'm not really sure. Anyhow, after Tormund does finally get the Night's Watch under control, they, they kill a few of them. We see mm-hmm. giants
0: smash one guy. You don't shoot giants with arrows. lesson. anybody that thought that was a good idea got uh, the message clear to them now. Yes.
2: And Alistair Thorne was in prison, so he's going to probably live to fight another day and cause some more trouble for us, so under control right now. And Davos finally persuaded Melisandra to try this magic. She told him she didn't know how to do it. She didn't think it was going to work, but she was going to give it a try. It does appear to fail. Now, do you think everybody sort of left this room a little too quickly? She finishes the spell, waves her hand, and they're like,
0: uh, 30 seconds, it didn't work. Let's go. I want to go back just a little bit, because that was one of my favorite scenes in the episode, was Davos' speech, to Melisandra. Yes. It was extremely powerful and he basically said i'm not a holy man in any sense of the word and i don't care what god you communicate with or don't communicate with but i've seen you do magic Mm -hmm. i.e., i've seen you birth a demon spawn yeah so i know you do have power whatever power you do have conjured up now and saved on
2: even more than that he said you are the person that made me believe in miracles so this is a pretty intense turnaround for davos the man who a couple seasons ago came in with the intention of actually murdering Melisandre. yeah um he got locked up and imprisoned by stannis because he was so opposed to her and her magic that now he's telling her you made me have belief that miracles happen and i need you i like how they have developed his character that he's ned-like In certain respects he's honorable he's a good man and yet he's more flexible than Ned ever was he's willing to bring people over to his side or to try things he doesn't actually think are right if it's what's called for in the moment that serves the greater good and that's why I think he's a character that's going to continue to last in this series
1: I hope but every time you uh, really like someone they die so well,
2: that. Well, you say that, but no better way to end off with the wall than to talk about the fact that John did come back to life, folks.
1: And Zendroro Onios, and Kyr Persis, and Morchot Gleison. And Zendroro Onios, and Kyr Persis, and Morchot Gleison. He did. We don't know. It
2: happened. Can we take a moment to celebrate?
1: That's true. Finally we know. Does he come back to life? I love how they there was a there was a pause. They took like fifteen seconds, or felt like a minute, when everyone left the room and you just you're just looking at him. And yep. you're like, is he gonna wake up or are they gonna fade to black and nothing happens? And yep. he wakes up with a gasp and his eyes wide open. And one thing to know, his eyes aren't blue. So that's, a good, that's good news. Not uh, a white walker. Huge gasp for air. So that says to me, okay, he's human. At least, you know, the air. Yep. We don't know if he'll be the Jon Snow that we know and love. Uh, is he going to be an a angry Jon Snow? Vengeful? Or is he going to be even more balanced? And will he have powers now? You know, when you come back to life, oftentimes people have like powers that they didn't know they had it's like unlocked
2: yeah yeah. there was a lot of theories about how he would come back what it would look like again I think that people are drawing the Thoros and Beric parallels because that seemed to be a very big foreshadowing Um, George Martin put that stuff in there for a reason and that's the only thing we have to base what's going to happen now off of and so if you go by that Beric told us that Yeah, essentially when he came back each time, when Thoros brought him back, he was still a man. Uh, He was still relatively normal, walking around, looking like he always did. He lost a piece of himself every time he was resurrected. So, I mean, what is that going to mean for John? That doesn't sound too bad for him to just lose a small piece of himself. Right. But there were other questions I want to start off with. um, Now that he's back, we know that he was the 998th Lord Commander when he was in charge of the Night's Watch. Then he dies, and Alistair assumes command, making him the 999th. Now if he comes back and he's Lord Commander again, does this make him the 1000th
0: Lord Commander? I believe so. Or does it illegitimize Alistair's command altogether? Yes. Yeah. Did and he really strike roll? it? You know, they have... Process of how somebody has to be elected Lord Commander. He just assumed the role. There was no vote yep, the way that they normally do.
1: But, Christina, what what's the importance of it being the Thousandth?
2: Well, they paid some credence to that in the books, talking about they thought it might mean something, that something epic would happen when the Thousandth Lord Commander was ruling. Um, however, we don't really know a lot beyond that. And will he even want to be Lord Commander? We know that in the Night's Watch vows, you are sworn to this duty until your death, but technically he has died. So does this free him of his vows now?
0: Now could he go back to Winterfell and rule the way Stannis had offered him? Would he even want to?
2: Yeah, it's a lot of questions. Will he even have time to? Because Ramsey's whole crazy plan was that he wanted to storm the Night's Watch, take people out, kill Jon Snow. Now that Roos isn't standing in his way, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, I think Ramsey's going to just head north very sh- shortly.
1: Yeah, so it'll basically be another defense, but uh, on the other side of the wall again this time.
0: Yep. Ramsey does not scare me as a serious threat. I think I don't think he's smart enough. I don't think he's capable of organizing and maintaining any sort of army that's worth being a decent threat?
2: You know, I thought that for a very long time as a book reader, and it's good that kind of moving into the next location, what we had was Winterfell and how that ties in with the law. So, I put him down for a while, too, thinking he was a psychopath, and especially without Roose at the helm, he wasn't going to really know how to rule. However. He does still have a fairly large army. Uh, We're seeing in these scenes at Winterfell that a lot of the men at the castle seem to be loyal to Ramsay and perhaps have been in secret for a very long time, not Roose's men anymore, but Ramsay's. Um, And he has accomplished quite a lot strategically um, in the past two seasons, so I don't know. He's a man to fear, I think.
0: Although people's loyalties are shaky, in these stories, they they come and go, and alliances form and fall apart very quickly.
2: Well, I think that you see,
0: alliance-wise,
2: just traveling into episode two a little bit, I was going to tell you one new face that we have is Harold Carstark. So the scene at Winterfell where Roose and Ramsay are talking to each other, and they're discussing what their next move is. Ramsay says he wants to attack the Night's Watch. Roose tells him this is a bad idea. So he could follow his son's ideas to a certain extent, but something like this is crazy. Because the Night's Watch is old and prestigious, and attacking them would mean losing a lot of their staunch northern allies, and he doesn't want to do that. There's a man involved in this conversation off to the side. This is Harold Carstark. So he is son to Rickard Carstark. Rickard was the man that Rob Stark executed during the war for killing Lannister boys, you guys remember that? Yeah.
1: Yes. The
2: Car Starks have always been very, very close to the Starks. In fact, their bloodlines were merged way back when. That's why their names sound similar. And it was a definite blow to lose them as allies, and it seems like that had a very large ripple effect, and now the car have gone over to the Boltons. Yeah, in other news at Winterfell, you know, you did see Ramsey kind of mourning Miranda's death in his own weird way. Yep we did see this interaction between Roose and ramsay and then walda you know we find out the news she gave birth to a baby boy and that's just too much uh, ramsay can't handle it anymore his physician's threatened and he kills bruce i gotta tell you this is my first real game of thrones shocker that i didn't see coming because there's no book uh bible for
0: this yet and how about how they played that scene you didn't know you knew one of them was dead or seriously hurt, but you didn't know who it was. And I thought it was Ramsey at first. I thought that since he had a new son that was his, he no longer needed his bastard son. And I was totally shocked when I found out that Ramsey had killed Bruce. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, this for me was kind of like a red wedding moment because... I didn't have any canon to base it off of. I had no idea it was coming. And I really didn't think Bruce was going to be taken out of the game so early. I thought he was going to make it a ways longer into the storyline.
1: We've, we've had two episodes so far and so many deaths already. It's insane. And to key characters.
2: Well, and Jason, like you said, Bruce was sort of one of our last, old boys, so to speak
0: he was
1: a bad man but he was one of the last of the old crew yeah the where they're the last of the old crew where they know their politics in war and they play more of a chess game rather than uh just thinking one or two moves ahead so now yeah. we have all these young guards that are i really feel like especially ramsey they think one or two moves they're not thinking what that one move will do three months from now with a whole nother party what that means with this party and you know pl- the politics of it
2: yeah absolutely I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the north and I also think does uh, if he rides north to attack the night's watch my whole theory towards the end of the last season was George R, R. Martin is bringing a lot of our main characters together into groups of a few locations
1: yes and
2: so in the north now you know we had Davos, Jon Snow, Melisandre, the Wildlings. It looks like we're going to have Brienne and Pod taking Sansa north to the wall. And now you would have Ramsay going north to the wall. So it seems like he's clustering all the characters up together, getting ready for the wars to come.
1: Yeah, we, we've gone so many seasons where they they all spread out from season one to so many different locations. They're all on their own storylines. And you're right, yep. now they're all going to come together and we're gonna it's like I feel I feel the momentum growing um, in other past seasons it was like a slow burn to get the storyline to mold but now I feel like that momentum is just quickly going through and we're gonna get uh, answers to a lot of questions and of course uh, new questions as well
2: yeah definitely uh, the last events that we saw at Winterfell here was that you know Ramsey obviously had and the baby, killed. And then we go over to Sansa and Theon, who had escaped into the woods. And Ramsay's men do wind up finding them, but just as they're about to capture them, Brienne and Pod come in and basically save the day. Brienne makes an oath to Sansa, which, if you remember, is the same exact oath that she made to Catelyn a couple seasons back. Right. And Sansa finally accepts her into the service. And... Looks like they're going to go try to seek Jon Snow at the wall. But oddly enough, Theon decides he's not going to go with them. He says even if forgiveness was offered to him as part of the Night's Watch, he doesn't deserve it. And he's going to go home to the Iron Islands. I was shocked about that.
1: I was too. But I think with this happening, we're going to progress his storyline, which has kind of been stagnant because he's been trapped and really losing himself physically and mentally. Um, I think if he stuck around with that group, he would have just been, you know, a side following character and he wouldn't have had much effect on the storyline. Okay. This way, I think um, we're going to kind of see him progress in his, you know, he's going to have to rebuild himself and this is the only way he can do it. And we haven't talked about it yet, but with what's happened in the Iron Islands, um, I think it's actually good that he shows up.
2: Well, yeah, obviously they're going to become more prominent, and perhaps that's the way to keep bringing them into the fold, is to send Dion back there. Because let's not forget, if the Iron Islands went according to the rest of Westeros' rule, he would be uh,
1: yeah, would the be. next
2: heir to the throne. Yeah. Um, they don't. We'll get into that later. But... It is an interesting turn that he's going to go back there.
0: What do you think would possess him to want to go back after what his father did to him? I really don't, don't think he wants to be there.
2: Um, I think he's got some kind of alternate agenda. I have no idea what that is. I don't think there's any love lost. I don't think he wants to see his family, his sister, and I don't think he wants to rule there. So, So there has to be a reason.
1: How much does he know of what the Bolton's plans are? I mean, he was kind of in, he knew a lot last season because he was always there. Yeah. But Rick hasn't oh, I, been really, we haven't seen him next to Bolton in a yeah, while. Yeah, they
2: weren't, they weren't showing it in the TV, but in the books, he did still know a lot. He overheard everything.
1: So maybe he'll use that to his advantage.
2: We'll have to see. And then the last thing in the North that we didn't talk about it's a little out of sequence, but before we head south, I think we should go all the way up north, north of the wall to check in with Bran, because it's been a whole season since we have seen Bran and company.
1: Yeah. Bran is
2: bad.
0: Yeah, is the actor has physically now. grown a lot. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it was it was almost like looking at Rob again to see a grown man stark, you know, dark and brave and I don't know. It was, it was, I was proud of him. Yeah. And yet he is different than a
2: lot of the other Starks, right? I always get this feeling that, yeah, there's a little bit of that Rob and Ned in him, that proud, good man. Um, but he's also not so stuck to the rules. He's always been more creative and imaginative and kind of color outside of the lines. And clearly we are learning more and more that he is very powerful. So we found out that it's unusual for somebody to be a war, um, i.e. they are able to go inside of other animals, other creatures, that's put their goal. consciousness into them. Nobody ever goes into people. So
1: that's There's even people. more rare.
2: Right. He can do that. He can do that. But even more rare than being able to war is having green sight, um, being able to see events into the past and the future, and people that can do both. It's almost unheard of. There's been very few people who were ever able to warg and have this green sight and do everything he can do. So, I mean, we gotta believe this is why the Three-Eyed Raven has been sending for him and wanting him there for training because he's got power
0: that he can do something with. Is it akin to a godlike power? power? <clears throat> um, above the realm of
2: friends and people? I think he's above humans and people. I don't know how far that's gonna go. I know that hopefully we're gonna get more background on these children of the forest who were not gods, but they did have much greater abilities. Uh, they had a much greater communion with nature and they kind of had a nature magic that they could practice. And they were able to stand up against the White Walkers in far, far past
0: history.
1: Well I think just like Malisandra has quote-unquote powers with utilizing the God of Light, I think uh, the Children of the Forest and Bran, they have quote-unquote power, but they're utilizing Earth as their God. Yes,
2: and nature, absolutely.
1: So, you know, it's the same thing. They're kind of like the medium between it, but they have more control. It's actually what they want to do. I mean, his ability to go back in time, that's pretty hip. And that's definitely going to be used as a narrative to explain some storylines that we don't know from the past. That's going to be utilized.
0: Well, like you said, the, the forces of nature seem to be a huge underlying driving force behind a lot of what's going on. The fire, the ice, the earth, the air, the light, the darkness. They're huge powers that seems to be at odds with each other. As
2: well as the religions. And it doesn't seem as though they're all worshiping different religions that maybe could be the same God. It seems as though they are actually different. And um, so are they all real? Which is the strongest? How is that gonna play out in the wars to come? And it's all coming to the forefront now. Uh, the TV show was very careful to kind of keep the magic and the religion and everything toned down until this season, and I think we're really going to start ramping it up with those factors.
0: Let's do talk about his vision, though.
2: Yeah, I want to explain that for those of you who have forgotten, uh, since it has been a whole season without him, how is Brian actually able to look into the past, the future, potentially? So... He's being trained by this guy, the Three-Eyed Raven. They have a communion with these weirwood trees. We see that the Three-Eyed Raven actually looks like he's becoming part of the tree. I mean, the roots are like interwoven into his body. And they're able to look out through the eyes of the trees throughout the Seven Kingdoms, other weirwood trees or heart trees. And the way they're able to do that was way back in the day, the children of the forest had carved faces into the trees. And so now, because they're able to commune with the tree, they can look out through the faces and see anything that that heart tree has ever or will ever see.
1: That's quite a power.
2: Like tree vision, basically. (laughs) Tree vision. And so, yeah, we get our first glimpse of what Bran sees on TV, a vision of young Ned, Uncle Benjen, and Lyanna Stark back at Winterfell. And... And we see a young Hodor. Hodor! Willis! Oh yeah, we actually learned his name Willis, Walder to those of you book readers. And he was not mentally disabled back in the day. So this is not something he was born with. Something did in fact happen to him along the way.
1: And I'm sure we will learn that.
2: And that that begs the question for me, does he have some sort of secret knowledge that can't share with us now did he see things did he experience things that might be important but he just can't tell us because he can't speak anymore i
1: i I, I had that same thought when bran was trying to talk to him when he gets back to the present time and he's like hodor used to talk and the way his face that actor's amazing he's able to portray a lot of thought and uh emotion just with his face and that one word hodor
2: yes christian nairn
1: His face showed that he knows something. There's a story that he wants to get out and all he can say is Hodor. But you can see it in his face. He wants to say yes, this is why. Blah, 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 blah.
2: (laughs) Well, not only that, but it seems he's being protected. Um, A lot of people thought this was his mother that came in and stopped him from sword fighting in the vision. That was actually Old Man. So for those of you who remember Old Man, she raised The start kids. We saw her telling Bran uh, stories about the world when he was younger. Uh, This is her. Old man? Yes, old Nan.
1: Oh, nan. N-A-N. Yes. Okay.
2: And Hodor is actually her great grandson. And so she was shepherding him away from that experience. I think there was more to that that we're going to find out later. We also see a young man overseeing them, the guy who had the long sideburns. This is a young Sir Roderick Cassell that was Winterfell's master at arms. He helped train them how to fight. More importantly, we see a young Lyanna. Uh, I think it's it's key to note how they're depicting her. She's seen riding a horse, wearing boys clothing, uh, sort of a tomboy, like Arya, and they have made that correlation before. People have told Arya she's very much like Lyanna used to be.
1: Right. And that's the whole R plus L
0: R plus L equals J, theory. Exactly. Was there a place where we actually saw something that said R plus L, or was that only in the book? Did they show? Was
2: there a vision of that in the show? Not yet, but I think uh, next episode we caught the preview, and uh, it looks like we might be getting a vision of the Tower of Joy, which, for those of you who read the books, would be the scene that would explain to us Um, Jon Snow's parentage, and if that theory is actually correct. So we might get that next episode.
1: So uh, remind the listeners what R plus L equals J means.
2: Um, Yeah, so I think we could just say all spoilers out the window now, because book readers are pretty much at the same place as you TV watchers. If you are not interested in hearing this tune out for the next 30 seconds, Hmm. that's your warning. But... Basically, there was a lot of talk that Jon Snow was not actually the bastard child of Ned Stark. That he was Stark, but because he was a child of Lyanna Stark. Ned's sister Lyanna, we believe, was actually in love with Rhaegar Tardarian. As the twisted history goes, they tell us that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped her. That he took her to the Tower of Joy during the War, Robert's Rebellion. And when Robert heard about that, he was so enraged that he sent people, including Ned, to go recapture her and take her back. Um, But we don't think that was true. We think she was actually in love with Rhaegar, who was Danny's older brother, by the way. He was killed in that same war. And we think that they actually did have a child. And when Ned went and found her at this tower and she was sick and dying, that it might be from childbirth and she might have given him this child and asked Ned to keep him safe. And of course, keeping him safe would mean nobody finding out who he really is because that's too dangerous. And so perhaps Ned thought being a bastard child of his, uh, that would make him go unnoticed and he'd be allowed to live.
1: So in theory, we're thinking John is part Targaryen, part Stark. Correct. And, uh, If you go back and look at screenshots or go back to the uh, last episode of season 10 when Stark gets stabbed, uh, last episode of season 5 when Stark gets stabbed, you'll see that the blood that kind of crawls out from under him into the snow forms a dragon. And then again, when you see the snow in episode 1 of this season, the blood, without his body there, the blood again, uh, depicts a drag a man riding a dragon
2: yeah there's a lot of talk and theories out there especially for book readers about who the secret Targaryens in this storyline could be and John is right at the forefront and the reason that's talked about that a lot is because there are three dragons but in history there's only been one rider for one dragon so if Danny rides Drogon that means she can't really ride any of the other dragons you need two other people who have an affinity to ride those two other dragons. And most likely they would be at least part Targaryen. So, you know, who knows where that'll go, but John is definitely at the top <laughs> of the suspect list.
1: And I know I'm jumping forward when I say this, but I have to. With Kyrian being able to talk to the dragons uh, when we go back down south, uh, this was, uh, you, you made me privy to this, Christina. The fact that he was able to get that close to them, take off their chains, and not be eaten or anything, one would might think he might be part Tar- Targaryen as well?
2: Yeah, that was the other talk, and there was a lot of theorizing, especially in the book, that Tyrion could be part Targaryen. Now, in the books, he looked very different. Instead of the golden blonde hair of the Lannisters, he had that silvery blonde hair of the Targaryens, Um, He had one brown eye and one lavender. Lavender eyes were very hallmark of the Targaryens. And so he absolutely had the look, and there were rumors that perhaps he was not Tywin's son, that he was the bastard child of Tywin's wife, Joanna, with the Mad King. Um, That's Mad King Targaryen who was killed prior to the start of all this Game of Thrones stuff. And so there's a lot of Tywin throughout the books telling Tyrion, you aren't my son. I never believed it from day one until they prove it. You are not my seed. In fact, Tywin's last dying words were, you are no son of mine.
0: Which we thought he was saying because he was a dwarf, an imp. Yep. A little bit.
1: Shame to the family.
0: Yeah. You never really thought that it was because he might not actually be his son.
2: Absolutely true, and that could still be the case. Um, The thing is that dragons historically always have been more comfortable around people who had at least some Targaryen in their bloodline. And so if not, that begs the question, why were they so okay with Tyrion? I guess we'll get a little more into that uh, very soon. Let me go back to finish up the north for you with one last question so we see these visions from bran i'm excited to see what else will happen that we'll get privy to through his eyes when he comes out of the vision three-eyed raven tells him you can't stay there any longer it's too dangerous you have to limit the time that you spend in these visions why do you guys think that is what could happen to him
1: well he could forget to eat you know even though he's like let's say he's um a wolf and he's eating as a wolf. He could forget to eat himself.
0: As a boy, as right? As a boy, he's as not a person. Fed as a boy. Well, here's another theory that sounds way out there. Maybe he could change history. Does he have the ability to communicate when he's in the past? Can he actually influence a series of events?
2: That's a really good question. I think Bran himself was pondering that when he first came into the vision. He was walking up to people to see can they see me? He was reaching out his hand, like, am I going to be able to change anything here now? So I think he's wondering that. So,
1: I think it's more like he'll get lost in the past. And and not
0: be able to find his way back. Yeah, he'll
1: lose himself as a person.
0: Yeah. Um, That
2: was actually directly said to him in the books, but not about the green site, about the war game. He would spend so much time in his direwolf summer skin, and they would always tell him you have to come back because you're not eating here you're wasting away he's like i eat when i'm a wolf and they're like yeah but that doesn't translate to you as a boy and you know he's so missed being able to run walk climb because he didn't have his legs that he almost wanted to live as a dire wolf. and they said
0: eventually that would take you over and you would get lost and you would never come back and it's it's sad though you understand he's so restricted in his own body he's at the mercy of Hodor, carrying him around. Yeah, so to have that freedom back is so tempting to just stay there and not, not go back to Bran's body.
2: Absolutely. And so much that he wants to learn about his own family and his history, his father that he doesn't have anymore, and these visions, he can see him, he can see his uncle. I mean, you could definitely see the temptation there. Uh, but. There clearly are more dangers to come for Bran, too, because after that, we see the Leaf appear, Uh, the the child of the forest that they have nicknamed Leaf, and you guys might not recognize her because it's a different actress than the woman who's been playing that role in season one, but she appears to tell Mira that Bran is going to need her when he leaves the tree. So we don't know what that's about or what for, but there are definitely things to come for him.
1: Well, yeah, and... I think she's feeling like her job is done. She's useless now, and she needs to be doing something else. She feels lost. That's why she's out there alone, just staring out into, you know, in the danger part zone. Yeah. And uh, basically, Leaf is saying, you're not done. Your usefulness is not complete. Uh, Bran, once he gets what he needs to get done here, and uh, basically, I'm thinking once he becomes, like, A full warg you know and and gets those powers and gets main uh as much control as possible they're gonna have to go back out there and she's gonna be needed for the physical yeah but
2: for what where are they gonna go what are they gonna do how are they gonna fight this
1: well for him he can go anywhere right i still think i still want to see him warg into a dragon
0: that's a lot of people's hope wow and you have to sympathize with her though she's looking out at this frozen wasteland tundra without her brother without any powers without anyone really trying to fulfill her brother's mission wondering what life has in store for her she's so young she's so alone
2: and there was this very um solemn sort of vow made by all of the reeds to assist bran and somehow this family knew that brand was important, that he was going to play a large role, and they've told their kids to dedicate their lives to helping him figure that out. So I think there's more to that storyline, too, the reads.
1: Definitely. Before we move on, I want to point out that for some reason this season feels like Game of Thrones is, uh, you know, I love the the fact that they're upping the magic factor, but they're also kind of upping the makeup factor. So Leaf, for example, she looks more like a... Grass and more, you know, like a caric- caricature or character. Now, did you
0: like
2: that though?
1: I, I dig it, but I liked, she, I thought she looked scarier. Um, old way. Yeah, the old way. And uh, the Three Eyed Raven, that's a new actor too, but he's badass. I'm really digging that guy.
2: He is good. I was very upset about the change in the Leaf character. I thought that the other actress had the look of while she appeared young there was also something very old and a wisdom in her eyes yeah like you said she was a little bit frightening but she um conveyed this very old power this new one i think they're almost making it look a little too caricaturish. exactly it looked a little
0: avatar-y to me
2: but they had explained if you look this up that what they were trying to do was more accurate accurately reflect the appearance of Children in the books who were described as being um, having nut brown skin, dappled coloration, and distinctly non-human in race. Okay. And so now that they have more money, they wanted to make them look more accurate.
1: Do you think they have more money? I mean, they had money two years ago.
2: Um, we'll get to that. They have more now. <laughs> okay.
1: Also, I think the new casting had to do with just um, we. Uh, the character dr- growing too much within two years, because that those the uh, the children of the forest need to look young, and I bet that person turned into pretty much like a young woman.
2: Well, that could be too. Yeah.
0: All I right. I have one more thing, and this would take us off on a wild tangent. Just want to throw it out there, let it hang for a while. We have not seen Rickon in a very long time. Yes, Asha the Wildling hook him, to keep him safe, and he's been missing for what I would assume to be years now. Yeah, and
2: supposedly was taking him to some very respectable northern ally family, although who knows? Who knows if we can trust her? Uh, Who knows if that
0: happened, if he was killed, if they were captured? I mean... It could be one of a million things, so I just would like to keep tabs on that. Absolutely. It's another another male Stark out there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's very true. I forgot about him completely.
2: Most people do, and I think they're intending for you to forget about him for some reason that we'll find out later. Because he also had his wolf. He had Shaggy Dog. Yeah, we're also going to go through that later, where the wolves are. Um, for now, let's go south. I think we could travel pretty quickly through some of these other locations. Surprisingly, the next one is King's Landing, and I never would have thought to say we can run quick through King's Landing, but believe it or not, there's not a heck of a lot happening there right now.
1: I think uh, there's a lot of setup there right now. A lot of shit's going to go down.
2: Yeah, for now, we start off by seeing Jamie arriving on a boat with Marcella's dead body. He's talking to Cersei, who is a lot less upset than I anticipated her to be.
1: I think she's more defeated. It's not even like she has no more emotion left. She's gone through a lot of shit.
2: Yeah. Well, Jamie promises her revenge in that moment and then goes and confronts the High Sparrow. And seemed to me was basically shit stirring. He wanted the man to get upset. He was looking for a fight. And essentially, the high sparrow didn't seem phased at all. And that's when we see a lot of other sparrows come out from the wings. Of course. And ready to
0: go.
1: Fuckers. I love Jamie Lannister says, the gods spill more blood than the rest of us combined. Essentially, like you're the one that's saying that everyone's done wrong, and they have to repent for it and pay for it. But the gods themselves have done worse things.
2: Well, and it seems like the sparrow wants to wage a holy war, right?
1: Well, that's the only way he's in power. You know, this High Sparrow, he does say one thing, and that this is where I think there's a lot of foreshadowing happening. Uh, he looks at the three statues in that room, that room that we've seen all too much because too many people are dying. Yeah. He says, I fear, the, I fear the father, he looks at one statue, the mother, he looks at the other statue, and the warrior. Yep. That's who he fears. Could one venture to say that this is going to... Culminate into the father being Jamie Lannister the mother being Cersei and the warrior being the new mountain character
2: Yeah, it could be a parallel. I mean the way he's looking at them You know, this is the religion they worship the seven gods and so the seven gods each took on an aspect and they are Represented as statues in the step. So what you were saying that the room this is what used to be the high step Um, although Not really looking that way so much anymore. The Sparrows have sort of done away with all that formality. I don't think this man is truly afraid of any of these people.
1: No, but I think 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 it's a wink wink that those are the three that are going to take him down.
2: You think they're going to take him down?
1: With that, I didn't at first, but I think so.
0: I think they're on the edge of being demolished. That's my theory. I think that Tywin would be turning in his grave if he saw what has become of the capital of Westeros. Our king is Tommen, who probably shouldn't be responsible for getting himself dressed in the morning. He's just too sweet. He's too innocent. I don't know. The High Sparrow is a total enigma to me what his true intentions are where his loyalty is, where his fear is. What his identity is. Who is he and where did he come from? Nobody he knows. He was wandering the streets of the city and now he's, for all intents and purposes, in, in charge of King's Landing. King's Landing.
2: Yeah.
1: Thanks to Cersei.
2: Yeah, she really made all that happen. I mean, let's, let's not forget, she was the one who armed the Faith Militant that hadn't been armed in hundreds of years for a very good reason, and this is why. This is why. There's fanatics... But I think while those people, everything you're saying is true of the rest of the sparrows, I think the High Sparrow is up to something more. Something different, yeah. and we don't know what that is yet, but we're going to see it real soon.
1: Absolutely. Although
0: material possessions don't seem to be what drives this man. No.
1: no, it's not material.
0: He thinks these Lannisters are a bunch of crap,
2: and he wants them out. Um, So... That also leads us to the question of this trial is going to happen eventually. Uh, We haven't seen Marjorie or Loras, but we know they're going to be put on trial as well as Cersei. And so you have to believe that Cersei's going to ask for a trial by combat, right, the way that Tyrion did? Yeah. Yeah. So she can have the mountain champion her. Um, Which, by the way, seems like there could still be something left of the old mountain in this new Sir Robert Strong because as he's out there avenging her enemies, he still enjoys smashing their heads up against walls. <laughs> um, but going back over to Cersei, uh, I don't know if she actually is beaten or broken. I don't know if this is part of her game. She's certainly very, very concerned, and she didn't outright say it, but this prophecy that was predicted for her many years ago by Maggie the Witch, seems to all be coming true. And I don't think she could stop thinking about that. When she asks Tommen and Jamie what color Marcella's funeral gown was, uh, crimson or gold, she's asking that because part of the prophecy had said that her children, three of which she would have, gold would be their crowns and gold their shrouds. So they would all die, and, and it seems that is happening. Oh, boy. And her last son, Tommen, now comes to her and asks for help to be strong. Uh, Is she going to turn him into another Joffrey?
1: No, I don't think he can be. I love how she didn't apologize. She had a lot of apologizing to do, too. And her answer was, I'll be there for you or something like that.
2: Certainly. Well, in the books, it's a very different reaction. Every time Tommen did try to stand up and be strong and do something, she got angry with him and didn't want him putting himself out there in any way uh to endanger himself or to become like Joffrey. That's so, her,
1: that's her last one. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: That's why? Uh that was about it in King's Landing. We can move on over to Braavos, which we only just got very brief clips of what's happening with Arya, still living as a homeless beggar, being beaten by the wave. Uh, not really adjusting very well to blindness, and she is attacked in the second episode by the wave who turns back into jockin and he tells her to follow him. That's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, but I still, I think I'm still really interested in that storyline. I think Bran right now I'm more interested, but uh, just like last year, like her storyline is very intriguing to me.
2: Oh, I'm always wondering what's going to happen next. So now, what is her next part of the training going to be? Um, is she going to keep this blindness or regain her sight?
1: I think she's going to remain blind for a little while. I don't think Game of Thrones doesn't really do something that big and then just like fix it that quickly. Right. I agree John with so. that. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, it's just part of part of the uh, training. Part of the big plan. I,
2: I agree, and I think she's going to have to learn um, how to deal with it to become better at what she needs to do eventually to be nobody. Um, okay, so heading over to Marine, Tyrion first learns that Heading over to Marine, Tyrion and Varys first find all the ships burning in the harbor. So there is no kind of setting sail for Westeros anytime soon, even if Danny does come back. Dora and Dario are tracking Danny. They find her ring, seemingly, they know where to go now to, to get to her. And as we said before, we see Danny taken to Kalmoro and promised safety, but being told she has to return to the Dash Kaleen. Then back in Marine, Tyrion learns that Astapor and Yunkai have returned to slavery. So everything seemingly that Danny has done from the beginning, freeing all these people, has completely reverted the moment she left the city. And to make it worse, her dragons have not been eating. Tyrion feels he needs to do something, so he goes down to where they're being kept to release Viserion and Rhaegal from their chains.
1: I gotta say, I'm so glad that Tyrion is back with Varys they're so funny off like there's a little bit of comic relief when they're together and when they first walk in the faces they give each other and you can see Tyrion is right away he's like i immediately regret this
2: they are a dynamic duo i do love them together and and just Tyrion. i mean anytime he's on screen got the balls to go down there and walk up to these dragons i mean i have to tell you i was super scared in the books there was a whole other character that we did not get to meet in the TV show and he came over to try to proposition Danny, and while she was gone did try to go down and free one of the dragons with the intention that he wanted to ride it and he got within two feet of them and they immediately roasted him alive so here I am thinking in my head while we're watching the TV show maybe they're rolling this character in with Tyrion and we're about to see his death right now But instead, he starts telling the dragons this story from childhood about how he always wanted one. And they do not harm him. Beyond that, they seem intelligent to the point that after he frees the first one, the second one even tilts his neck down to help Tyrion unlock the chains. Yep. So we learned from George R.R. Martin that the dragons are described as being intelligent but enigmatic creatures. So they are fickle. They're inherently magical. Uh, This means they have a sort of alien intelligence that's beyond human comprehension and more in tune with nature and fate. That makes me wonder, you know, once Tyrion unchained them, they didn't try to leave. They just turned around and walked back into their cave. Sort of like all they really wanted was to not be in chains.
1: Yeah, you know, also maybe, you know, they won't leave unless their mother says they can. So they're still, they still love their mother, even though they were very upset with her the last time we saw those th- uh, together. Uh, but maybe they're just waiting. They won't leave until she says so. Uh,
2: could be, yeah, I suppose they're worried for her, but this could just be the beginning of a setup too for Tyrion's relationship with the dragon. Like we said, whether he's a secret Targaryen or not, clearly they're comfortable with him. So will he wind up becoming a rider of one of these dragons? Um, and what are I we going to so. see in the
1: future? I hope so. And we did get, like all of the seasons before, great quotes from Tyrion. This, t- this time, I drink and I know things.
2: <laughs> all right. So let's go to our last location that we didn't talk about, which actually brings us back to Westeros. But it was a bit of a sidebar. So I figured we'd address it that way. And that is the Iron Islands. Now, before we talk about it, we did have some new... Faces and places here. We had two new people actually Euron Greyjoy and Aaron Greyjoy. Euron is, 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 is a, he's known as the Crow's Eye. That's probably how he'll be referred to. He wears a patch over one eye and it is unknown what is underneath. Uh, if there's even an eye, if there's a scar. And then you have Aaron Greyjoy, who's known as Damp Hair. He is the youngest brother of all of them. He's a priest now, although he used to be a drunkard in his younger days. Pretty much useless. Uh, He had an experience and decided to change his ways and became a devout priest. So now we see him drowning men and bringing them back uh, in the traditional Greyjoy way. Okay, so at the Iron Islands, we see Balon walking out onto this rope bridge that connects his buildings of his castle when Euron just appears. Out of nowhere. Walks up to him. They start talking. Balon tells him a story of when Yuri lost his senses in a storm once and his crew had to actually tie him to the mast of his ship to keep him from jumping overboard. He then cut out the tongues of every man on ship to silence them. So we're getting a, a very quick picture of who this man Euron is and yes. what he's like and sure enough no sooner than that does he throw Balon over the bridge and kills him and so that pretty much ends the war of the five kings folks believe it or not Balon Greyjoy was the last one standing out of the war of all those five kings he's the last to die it moves from there over to the scene at the beach where the priest Aaron damper is talking to Yara and telling her that she is not just going to become the next ruler, even though that's what Balon wanted, that they're going to have what's called a king's moot to decide. And this is because the drowned god told him that it was going to be that way. So in the Iron Island, it's not a hereditary monarchy. Uh, It's not like it just goes to the ruler's son next. It's actually an elected kingship. But this procedure of a king's moot is something that we haven't seen in a very long time. It's a ritual where all lords and ship captains gather at an assembly to hear those of who are standing up and saying, uh, we put ourselves forward to be king, why they should rule, and eventually they vote and they elect somebody. And this will be the first king's
0: in thousands of years. That's Which sounds a little bit like what they do at the Wall. Yes. They're the only two places that have something that represents
1: an election.
0: Yep. Very true.
1: That scene led me to believe that they didn't know that he was killed and they don't know that the brother's there yet.
2: Oh, I think they know that Balon died, but I don't think anybody knows that Yuri did it.
1: Right. I think because there was a storm that night, I'm wondering if they think he fell off the bridge.
2: I'm sure that's the story that's going to be put forth. Yeah. Clearly, we're going to get more Iron Islands this season. Um, That's going to tie into the fold somehow. That wraps up our episode one and two overview for these past two weeks. So let's move into our ratings and talk about how we think each episode stacked up. Let's give our Raven ratings for episode one.
1: <clears throat> I give episode one 8.5 Raven, um, and it's it's only that low and it's not even that low, but it's only that low because it's just the beginning and I didn't want to shoot my load that quick and say, you know, 9.9 on episode one, because we know that there'll be even better ones this season. Um, I loved, uh, I loved this. That was just a great way to, to start the, ep- the season and uh, episode two as well. It's just such, so refreshing to be watching Game of Thrones again after we've had to watch two seasons or I guess one season broken in half, of Walking Dead where they just constantly, you know, just did not deliver. I mean, we stopped doing podcasts about it. That's how much we've gotten sick of The Walking Dead. Game of Thrones, it's like, the storylines are great. They ended the last, both episodes with two amazing scenes. Melisandre taking off her necklace, revealing she's an old witch in episode one. Episode two, Jon Snow's huge gasp for air as he comes back alive. You know, they, they don't... Game of Thrones doesn't do, uh, we're going to take the the middle three episodes off and then come back and, and bring you back into the fold and want you, make you want to watch us again.
0: Absolutely. They're not afraid to take their time. They're not afraid of, of foreplay, so to say. You know, it's not... Maybe always exactly what the fans want, but they're telling their story, and they're doing it on their time, and they always deliver. And there's
1: always a reason. Every story, every scene, there's a reason for it. It's not just filler.
2: Yes, nothing is unintentional. And the setup is done in such a way that it still keeps you interested, and it's still um, visually appealing, uh, exciting, quick moving from one location to the next so you never get bored. And so for that reason, even though a lot didn't happen, I did enjoy the setup and I give episode one eight ravens.
0: Hmm. I am going to go with uh, 7.5. You, <laughs> you do half ravens. Yeah, you can
2: do half ravens. All right. So 7.5. Let's go over to episode two, Jason. What do you give that one?
1: I give episode 2, 9.2 Ravens. I really enjoyed that episode. And again, they managed to answer some questions while creating new questions. What will John 2.0 be like?
2: I agree. I give episode 2, 9 Ravens. Me too. 9.0. Wow, good. Yeah, and and the only reason not higher is I know there are going to be some spectacular episodes yet to come. Um let's talk more specifically about why we like this in the sense of which character made it great for you so
1: So I'm gonna roll
2: I'm gonna roll this in together episode 1 and 2 who owns the throne this week
1: owns the throne
2: Tyrion Ah, okay Michelle you go first you say Tyrion owns the throne
0: the balls alone that it takes to approach two chained up dragons that were believed to be extinct i mean Tyrion is such a small man and he's never let that affect his bravery but he looked like a shrimp cocktail walking into the dragon pit they they could have eaten him faster than he
2: I mean, he actually said, "Don't eat the help." At one point, <laughs> that's why I'm laughing.
0: He was like a little bite-sized appetizer. So he is just my hero. He was so brave. He did what had to be done because, at the end of the day, he's right. Danny is nothing without those dragons, and they need to do something to help her while she's gone. And if they die, what what will it matter if she comes back with no dragons?
2: Uh, That's absolutely true, and I was going to say Tyrion, too, for his quote there, when he was talking to them, and he said, when I was a child, my uncle asked me what gift I wanted for my name day. I begged him for a dragon. It wouldn't have to be a big one, I said. It could be little, like me. Everyone laughed like it was the funniest thing they ever heard. When my father told me the last dragon died a century ago, I cried myself to sleep that night. But here you are. Aww.
1: Foreshadowing.
2: (laughs) So... Since Michelle picked Tyrion, I'm not going to pick him. Um, I'd love to pick Jon Snow just for coming back to life, although he didn't really have that big of a part in that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pick Davos to own the throne this week because he is one of the last true good men left in this world. He is honorable, and he is making things happen at the Wall for the better that will hopefully set us up to have some kind of fighting chance when the White Walkers come.
1: Yeah, Davos, he's always, he always knows what to say. I mean, even when they went to Bravos and they had to request for more money, he was the one that said the right things. He's always there to say the right things.
0: Yeah, he is the ultimate voice of reason. Yes. Yeah.
1: For me, the character who owned the Thrones isn't necessarily my favorite character or a character I even like. I actually loathe him. is Ramsay Bolton if the Game of Thrones is a chess game Ramsay Bolton just made a maneuver that put him at at least at the time at the top
0: absolutely he sacked the King and it was his own father
2: and he's been making those moves for a while now so that's what I mean I mean strategically taking out Stannis and his army Um, taking out his father, taking out the next heir to the throne, marrying Sansa.
0: You're right, Jason. I mean, we hate him, but we can't underestimate him. No, because he's playing the game the best right now. He's being the most aggressive, and he's definitely a force to be reckoned with, I think.
1: Yeah, and you know, it was kind of um, a throwback. The way Ramsay killed Roose is the way Roose killed uh, the Stark. (laughs) Yes. Up close and personal. At the
2: wedding.
1: Yep. It's it was identical the way they killed him. Well,
2: and speaking of people that play the game, uh, where in the world is Littlefinger?
1: Oh yeah, I mentioned to bring that I meant to bring that up earlier. I guess right now he's his schemes, the the pieces that he was putting together has kind of fallen apart because people have died, key key pieces. So I think right now he's scheming again and he'll come back with another plan. I think he's gonna end up helping. Do you, do we know if he's still in King's Landing right now?
2: No, that's why I question. We don't know where he is or what he's up to at the moment.
1: He may end up helping uh, take down the High Spiral.
2: Uh, could be, or he could turn tail and keep himself out of the danger and go back to the Eyrie.
0: Uh, he could go back up north, who knows? Well, we do know that he doesn't miss a beat. But wherever he is, we know that he has people all over, keeping him informed. And I wouldn't be surprised if he waited until the situation between the Lannisters and the Sparrows to implode and just come back in. He always said, what was his famous line? Would wait Watch until... the city burn if he could be king over the ashes. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what
2: he's waiting for. And well, that's what he attempted to do up north. That he was going to have Stannis' men fight Bolton men until they decimated each other and he could take over the North. Uh, but that didn't exactly go as planned for him because the Boltons are still standing strong. So maybe he'll wait and see if they attack the Night Watch again. Uh, we also didn't see Sam in this episode. Uh, we assume he is still on his way to the Citadel in Old Town. And... I'm really curious to see what he's going to learn when he gets there about white walkers dragons or maybe even the lost maester's magic
1: Yeah, he will be key either at the end of this season or the next season
0: Samwell and little Sam, Sam. What's to become of baby Sam?
2: <laughs> okay, our last segment that you know is my favorite we're gonna go over to wolf watch For these two episodes, we have only seen one direwolf, and that was Ghost. But man, was this a spectacular inclusion of him. Um, Just sitting in the room uh, against the wall, kind of under John, it seemed like he was sleeping and disinterested the whole time. Which makes me wonder, was there a ward connection going on at the time between John and Ghost? And that's how he was able to not entirely die, that his spirit kind of went into Ghost, um, and then when they resuscitated his body, it went back into his body. Because that's the moment when Ghost stood up and opened his eyes again.
0: Maybe. I thought their, uh, the wolves and their masters are so physically and emotionally intertwined that I think if John did die and stay dead, I think that the wolf would probably. Out and die as well, and not eat, not sleep and not leave the side and go down with the ship, so to say. I think that he was just to there with John's body until he died.
2: Well, it's a good question because we haven't seen that happen yet. We have not seen a master die and the wolf not die as well. Yep. Rob died, um, Wind also died. Yep, Lady died before Sansa, um, unless. We forget, you know, guys, there still are potentially quite a few dire wolves running around the kingdom. We have Summer who is very much alive up north with Bran. Is alive? Uh yeah. He, he I'm not sure actually male or female, but Summer went with Bran. All the way up north. Um, as well as Shaggy Dog went with Rickon and presumably still alive. And and finally Nimeria. yeah, finally we have Nymeria. Um, aria's wolf who was last seen escaping into the woods in season one and according to book canon is out there forming some kind of super pack with the regular wolves in the riverlands
1: oh wow they'll probably come at the last battle
2: yeah wolfwatch is alive and alert even though we haven't been getting much but um let us know If anything new happens, if you get any more info, we're always eager to hear because I think the direwolves are going to serve a much more
0: important role in the future.
1: So if you guys want to let us know what you thought of the uh, episode so far or any predictions you have, you can email us at contact at coffeeclasscrew.com or just message us on Facebook.
2: A final note, we have a sneak peek through the heart tree for next week. Episode 3 is entitled Oathbreaker. And apparently will include Danny meets her future, Branny meets okay. <laughs> Branny. Okay. Danny meets her future. Bran meets the past. Salmon confronts the high sparrow. Arya trains to be no one. Baris finds an answer. Ramsey gets a gift. We look forward to seeing what happens in episode three and recapping it for
0: you afterwards. Also, Jason has agreed for anyone willing to call in and talk to us live to get completely nude and dress up <laughs> as a dragon. There we go. <laughs> We're also interviewing
2: for a new position here at Game of Thrones as the meteorologist of our Game of Thrones
0: podcast. We are. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle's going to give you a job description. Um, she'll post it on Facebook. Yeah, get to me. Michelle Lomagino at GameOfThronesMeteorology.com <laughs> Well,
2: speaking of, thank you, Michelle, for finally coming on the podcast. I'm so glad we got you here to talk about Game of Thrones.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I was probably, I held out longer than most people on getting on the Game of Thrones bandwagon, but I am hooked, and I'm in it for a long haul now. She's here, and I'm going to try to get her to read the books next, and hopefully we can have some kind of special book club discussion in the future.
1: So that's it for this week, and we will be back next week and earlier, not last minute. Uh, We are actually recording this on a Saturday. I'm going to edit it and get it out, and then we'll watch the next episode tomorrow.
2: Yeah, we'll be better from here on out, we promise. So write in with any questions or things you want to hear about in future podcasts. Thank you for listening.
1: Please help us out by giving us a a four- or five-star review on iTunes and leaving a review for us. And uh, until next week... This round's on me. Winter is (laughs) coming. Winter is coming. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.
2: Other two people who we have not seen but I think are still yet to come back is Catelyn's brother and uncle. Edmure Tully and Brynden
0: Blackfish Tully, that made it out of the Red Wedding alive, but we don't know where they went. Speaking of Tullys, what do you think happened to Crazy Little Robin? He's
2: training for fucking
0: his. You mean Robin uh, in Erie? Yeah.
2: Lysis son? Yeah. Um, last we saw, they brought him back down out of the Erie to the castle at the bottom to train with the other guy's son and try to, he to he make was him like, a man. And Littlefinger was going to leave him there while he went off and did what he's doing to, like, become a man. So I think he's still there. Well, baby, thank you. That was good. Actually, I don't think you're going to have, like, a shit ton of editing to do, home.